0: Going to be reading in Genesis 42 this morning, the last three verses of that chapter, verses 36 through 38. Genesis chapter 42, verse 36 through 38. There the reading is And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which ye go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Our focus for the text and the title of the message will be verse 36. And we're going to take the title from the words of Jacob there at the very end. The last phrase, all these things are against me. However, I want to add something to that. And it will point the direction we are going with this message by the aid and power of the Holy Spirit. All these things are against me, question mark. There's not a question mark in the text, but I am adding it to give it the title that I want to give it for the direction we're going to have it. Jacob, we know who he is, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And the circumstances here are such that he believes one son has been dead already a long time, Joseph. Simeon is bound in Egypt. He's already written him off as good as dead. And now then, they want to take Benjamin, the baby of the family, the second son of Rachel, away, and he's thinking he'll lose him too. So he makes this statement and concludes, all things are against me. Again, we add the question mark. You know, if you're a student of the Bible, how this all turns out. You know why I added the question mark. But what I'm going to speak to you about, obviously, is the implication of this statement. It's not only an attitude that Jacob is expressing here, but it is a perspective. And is his perspective conveyed in the words of the title that we want to put the question mark to? Now, the word perspective is a very interesting word. If you look it up in a dictionary, it's going to say that it pertains to optics or optical, the science of optics. So it has to do with seeing, all right, in a literal sense, But in the general sense, perspective means our view of things. And again, view is something we do with our eyes, isn't it? So sometimes we express or question somebody's perspective by saying, well, we may even say, without even implying perspective, by saying, well, what do you think? Well, you're asking their perspective. To be more specific, we might say, what's your view of this? You know, and there we're getting right down to the nitty gritty of, of what the word defines and means in that regard. Uh, sometimes one other suggestion may be well, what's your take on it? Okay, well, our title and this phrase is Jacob's Take. This is Jacob's view at the moment in his circumstances at that time. Now, we know. If you've read your bible, Jacob's perspective was not based on all the facts, was it? And this is the thing we must always remember and I would warn you and advise you at the beginning is our perspective must be very careful or our, we must be very careful when we give or take a perspective on something. Because perspective is based on knowledge. What's your view of this? What do you think of this? Well, your opinion or your perspective can only be given in any kind of accuracy based on your knowledge of it. And we could all be asked about things we don't know anything about and we'd be better off saying I don't know than give our perspective because it would just manifest how foolish we are, right? So, bottom line, perspective is based on knowledge. Therefore, since we don't have all knowledge, our perspective many times is based on partial knowledge, like Jacob's was, and therefore we have the very great potential of our perspective being absolutely wrong. Because we don't have complete and accurate knowledge. We have partial knowledge... We have more knowledge on some things than others and your opinion or my opinion on certain things may be greater than other things depending on the amount of knowledge we have. And we can even throw in experience there. But knowledge is what we're going on since this is what Jacob is basing his perspective on. Another thing we need to make aware of or make you aware of here, want to here, is again, not only may the knowledge be impartial or partial and incomplete, but it also could be true or false. Jacob here has a perspective that's based on not the fact of the matter in some cases. A good example of this, and I'll try to be brief here, you might remember, you remember in the Old Testament when Absalom, David's son, conspired to kill his brother Ammon because Ammon had raped their sister Tamar. Remember that? And he threw a party and a feast a couple years after the incident and invited all the king's sons. And, you know, it was all a premeditated murder plot. And at the given word, the servants of Absalom fell upon Ammon and slew him. And everybody fled the party. Well, David knew this was happening, and the first messenger that came unto him came and told him, All the king's sons are dead. All of them. All of them wiped out and David immediately went into a state of grief and fell to the earth and rent his clothes and everybody around him did the same thing. And it was all brought about for nothing, wasn't it? His reaction was based on not only incomplete knowledge but false knowledge. They weren't all dead. And there was someone standing there who quickly rectified that situation and it proved to be true. Only Ammon was dead. Okay? Okay? So again, the immediate perspective caused great grief and great sorrow, but it was all based on false knowledge. We've all been there, right? And sometimes it can be the other way around. It can be worse than we were initially informed or told or had knowledge of. However, we've all been there when we thought, as Jacob states here, Everything is just against me. Right? I mean, we're human beings. That path has been trodden by all of us at one time or another, maybe more times by some than others, some of us than others, but nevertheless, we've all been there. When, however you want to put it, you feel like the sky falling in or, or the events of a particular day, a particular circumstance that Murphy's Law has kicked in and it's just one thing after another like dominoes and everything's against me. That's where Jacob was. But remember, Jacob was a believer in God. But we don't see much of God in that perspective, do we? And so we're going to learn from this. I say that not to condemn Jacob, but by way of comparison, as we will make the application to ourselves. What was his loss here that he's grieving over? One son he believes dead, another might be dead or going to die, and the possibility in the future was he could lose another. Well, that's a, that's a sad situation. I'm not diminishing that at all. But how bad was his situation? Not nearly as bad as many others have experienced. Remember the man that wrote it as well with my soul? I heard an incident this week, a personal incident about a woman and a whole group of children, her children, six or seven of them in a car wreck and killed them all. I, I mean, it's unfathomable if you haven't been there, done that. I would not even dare try to explain or expound on that. I mean, I don't have that experience. But there was a man called Job. And he lost a lot more than three children. He lost ten. Not only to lose that, he lost everything else. And he lost it all in one day. Not over a period of time. And his statement was not, all things are against me. Very admirably, we admire that man and we look to his words And we hope by the grace of God we could emulate them if called upon in similar circumstances to be able to say, Naked came I from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worse circumstances and a better perspective than Jacob. So again, I'm not condemning one. I'm just laying the facts and you know. All this is here that we may learn from either the good or the bad. Let me give you one more quickly in introduction. You remember the young boy Samuel? You remember who the high priest was? Eli? He had devilish sons, unbelieving sons. He allowed them to go unrestrained. The little boy was given the revelation of God of what God was going to do as punishment to Eli and his house. He's going to cut off that line of the priesthood and start somewhere else. Something that had never been done before in the Aaronic priesthood. The little boy, being a boy, didn't want to volunteer that information, but Eli held his feet to the fire and said, You tell me everything God told you. Eli, Eli was told by Samuel. You remember what Eli's reply was? That's not good news. You're going to be cut off. Your son's going to be cut off. And you're not going to have another male descendant in the priesthood. and It's all your fault, or part of it's your fault. It is the Lord letting him do as seemeth good. We see submission there. We see submission in the case of Job. We don't see submission here in the case of Jacob. Everything is against me. We've all been there. Let's look at Jacob's perspective and see what we can learn. Again, we do this to learn, not to condemn. If you know the rest of the story from the text, or rather the statement, all these things are against me, and remember the question mark deserves an answer, then you know the answer is... It's not what it seemed it was, is it, to Jacob? But in reality, providence would reveal just the opposite of what Jacob thought was. A pleasant surprise in the end. Sometimes it may not be a pleasant surprise, but providence will work it out one way or the other. And again, we insert ourselves there and say, yep, been there, done that. I thought it wasn't a very big thing, and it turned out to be a really big thing. I thought it was a horrible thing, and it turned out to be a wonderful thing. That's the beauty of God's providence. But the key, no matter how it turns out, is the same with Job and with Eli. It's submission to God's will. That's what we are to learn. That's the lesson we want to address today. When Jacob made this statement, all things are against me, he's literally saying, using the preposition upon, all things are upon me. And what was it particularly that was upon him? Well, sons and loss, which brought about grief and sorrow. And to a parent, I suppose, you know, the loss of a child here, you know. Two children possibly, and perhaps a third in the future. So he's saying all of this is upon me. In other words, this is bearing upon me the weight of a burden that I can't bear. It's against me. It's bearing me down. The grief, the sorrow, and anticipated grief to the point that I fear it's going to just press me right out of the very life breath and into the grave verse 38 he said you know if the other one has lost benjamin you're going to bring down my gray hairs and sorrow to the grave we have heard that about people grieving themselves to death there's a connection there that doctors can't explain about when the mind overcomes the body or the soul overcomes you know the organs and a person just We say many times they've given up, they've thrown in the towel, they, whatever, and it seemingly the body just withers away because the mind has made a decision. I mean, maybe we'll understand more about that in the life to come, but we know there's a connection there that you can't put your finger on, but it's very real. Is it not? So that's what he's saying. This this grief and sorrow is so much that it's just going to kill me. It's going to take me to the grave. If, in other words, he'd be saying, "If I lose one more son, I, it's just going to kill me." Why not the thought? Well, I've got nine more. God's blessed me with twelve, and I still got twice as many as I. That's what we fail to see many times, isn't it? And again, we've all had our pity parties. Call them a pity party. Call it a perspective. Call it whatever we want to. But it's a failure on our part to acknowledge God, to be thankful to God, and just focus on the bad, not the good. And and again, I'm not isolating anybody. I, I confess up. I've been there more times and I'm ashamed than I should be. Here's something else interesting that happens like that is Notice what he says at the very beginning. Me, have ye bereaved of my children? The first word is the focus of Jacob at this point in his life. And he said, me. That's me. It's not funny. But I'll say it because I think you'll relate to it. You know who the first invitation goes out to for any pity party? Me. Me. Before you invite anybody else, me. If me's not there, there's not going to be a party. And his grief, and his again, I'll take nothing away here. I don't don't mean to condemn the man. He has legitimate grief. Joseph is lost. He loved Joseph. And Simeon is seemingly lost. And he has a legitimate complaint in a sense in speaking to these other sons and saying, me ye have bereaved. So there is, and I'll leave it up to you and others to decide, I'm not going to make it, there is either an accusation or an at least an insinuation here of the sons that are present. Remember it was them that came back with the coat of many colors stained with blood and their story that says a wild beast must have got him. We don't know what happened to him but a mouse Okay? It is they who came back from Egypt without Simeon and said that man down there is a bad man and he kept him as hostage. So in both cases they are the instruments it appears of his grief and he is either insinuating or accusing you know So again, you know how it goes. When any of us get in this state, as Jacob was, again, me gets invited and the finger gets pointed somewhere, doesn't it? Usually not at me, though. Somebody else's fault. That's, that's again, I'm just giving you what we already all know because we've attended too many pity parties, you know, whether ourselves or somebody else's illegitimately and, you know, Recognize this is what it takes to have that type of party. So, And I won't deny that his sons were not... Of course, we know the story. We know they were guilty. And I don't know, all I can give you is my opinion, but I think any father learns things about his children as they become adults. And you've got some idea of what you're dealing with when you've got grown men here or your sons, and you've raised them about, you know... You know something about him. I don't think Jacob was just totally dumb and swallowed everything they told him. I'll put it like that. I don't think any wise parent would do that to start with. But they are instruments of his grief, and therefore, you have bereaved me of my children. You've already lost two of them, and now I'm going to let you. I'm going to put another one in your hands. You're you're you know you're you're not doing too good here. And then notice this. I think this is very important. Obviously, what he is feeling in his statement here is based upon Joseph in the past, Simeon in the present, and Benjamin in the future. Now, again, to get where Jacob is at here, you don't have to have past, present, and future, you could have any one. But three of them will certainly throw a big party. He could reflect back on Joseph and what a sad memory that would be. You know, I won't go into it, but you all know the story. Joseph was the first son of Rachel who he loved more than Leah. She was barren, finally had a son, Joseph. I mean, I think Jacob, personally, I think Jacob was in fault for spoiling the boy and and having a, a, a... spoiled child start with preference above the other eleven but that's fact of the matter it's not something foreign to us it can happen so he looked at the past and he was sorrowful because of Joseph and what happened in the present Simeon is absent he went down he didn't come back he's told he's being held hostage as we speak and that he won't be released in fact he may be killed if we don't meet the conditions of this man. And then if that was not enough, he was anticipating more sorrow because they wanted to take Benjamin who was the baby of the bunch and Rachel's second son whom she died in delivering and bringing into this world. So his statement, his grief, his sorrow reached to the past, was present from the present, and into the future and like I say you don't have to have all three you can take just one of those and and, you know come up with everything being against you but to have all three is really bad and so he says verse 38 my son shall not go down with you in other words this is where it stops I've lost two and I'm not going to lose three I've got enough grief everything is against me already I will not add to what I am already feeling Well, you know what the saying is, never say never, right? There's a famine in the land. That's why they went to Egypt the first time, remember? I've never experienced a famine, have you? I mean, we were poor and we had not the things we'd like to have to eat, but, I mean, not a famine. I've never starved. This was bad. And it's amazing how providential circumstances can what should I say change your mind amazing how that happens isn't it well God's behind that God knows the circumstances to bring about to get us to going in the direction he wants us to go even if it's a thought process verse chapter 43 verse 1 the famine was sore in the land and it came to pass (laughs) enough said (laughs) It's working on him. When they ate up the corn brought out of Egypt, Providence, their father said, Jacob said, Go again, buy us a little food. This is not funny, but it is funny. I laugh because of application to myself. When I read this and I read this, oh, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've, done the same foolish things you know thinking you're not going to do a certain thing or you wouldn't do a certain thing you wouldn't give up a certain thing blah 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 whatever thousand different things and God over time through prospects just tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and he can bring you full circle go buy us a little food we're running out Judah says we're not going if you don't send Benjamin that was the condition. That's still the condition, and we're not going unless we take it. And I'm just summarizing it right here, you know. So Jacob seems so adamant in verse 38, but over time he's forced to submit to the circumstances and to providence. And there's a lesson there for us, isn't it? It's better not to buck it. I mean you can swim into the waves if you want to but it's better to go with them if you know it's the hand of God Eli said it it's the Lord let him do as seemeth good marvelously Job said the same thing the Lord gave the Lord takes away he's got that right who am I to complain and Jacob just hadn't got there yet and I don't know if you have or I have or what but uh, you know we're learning aren't we God help us to learn no, we're not going with that. Can you imagine this? I was I'll just put it in these terms. Daddy, we're not going. <laughs> you know, I mean, that man said bring him or not. Well, what what is Jacob's options here? If you know the story, you know there's 70 plus people in Jacob's household. Are they all 70 going to starve because he won't let Benjamin go? You don't have to be a rocket science to make make that decision, does he? So he gives in. We see this, uh, let's see, 1 and 2 there. You know, uh, uh, see what he says. Verse 6, Israel said, Jacob, Wherefore deal ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether he yet had a brother? Why would you even tell him you had a brother? Because he asked, Daddy. I mean... You know, they were being honest. Remember, they got accused of being spies. They said, No, we're true men. We're telling you the truth. We got a father. We got a brother that's dead. You know, and we got a younger brother that's still at home because he's the baby and the favorite. You know, here again, accusation or insinuation, but he's upset, so he's pointing the finger at him. Why did you even tell him about Benjamin? You see. Again. But he's forced to submit. And so indeed He does. Read with me at verse 11 of chapter 43. Their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, there's the yielding. Again, we've been there, had not we? God brings us to that point. Why don't you just quit resisting and yield to what I'm doing? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe in me? Have I ever failed you? Those things ever come to your mind when God brings you to this point? They have mine. If it must be so, now do this. Take the best fruits of the land of your vessels, carry them down. They're, these people are about starving in a famine. And Jacob is saying, take the best that we got. What little we got. And carry it down there. And remember, think of this. I've got to make this point. I told myself I wasn't going to go into this, but here I am doing it. They had everything in Egypt. They didn't need anything they got very little in here, but that's not the point. The point is, he is trying to do what's right. Take them the best we got. What does God require of us? Give him your best, even if it's only a little bit. Even if it's weak, even if you don't, don't give him your best. Give him your obedience. As small as it may seem to you, give God your best. And see what he'll do. And again, we're not talking necessarily about writing the check. We're not talking about dollars and cents here. We're talking about other things. Your obedience. The tithing part is just one part of your obedience. Take him a present, balm, honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, almost whatever we got. Double money in your hand, the money that was brought to you again. Take it again. We pray and hope it was an oversight. And take your brother, rise and go to the man... And this is his anticipation, verse 14. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your, older, your other brother and Benjamin. And here it is. Here's a submission. It's not fatalism. If I be bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. In other words, it's in God's hands. This is, this is all we can do. This is all I can do. And so forth. Okay, so they go and they take Jacob. You know the story. I want you to pause here. I don't want you to speculate. I don't think we have to speculate. I think we can accurately answer what I'm going to say. Put yourself in Jacob's position. To him, Joseph is dead. Simeon might, could be. And he just sent away the baby with the nine that have not been very trustworthy. What's he got to do now? Sit. Sit. And wait. Something that most of us are not born with the virtue of much of patience. And especially in a situation like this. That's admirable again, I think, about Job. Job, by his statement, showed he had patience. And we could say Eli, too. Jacob is showing that he's not a man of patience. All things are against me. You know, it just, you know it, it's all happening now. When you say that, when you come to that point, you know, it's all here and now. You're not thinking about anything else but here and now. There's no patience in that. No good in the past, no good in the present, no good going to be in the future. You know, just total, 100% pessimism. Everything's against me. But when you realize, like Job did, it's a hand of God, then... 1 Peter 4 19, let those that suffer according to the will of God do it patiently and endure patiently. You know, I'm paraphrasing that, but you get the gist of it. Jacob had to sit. And in his state, I don't think he was peacefully patient. Do you? I can only imagine the anxiety and the weary because of what's going on. His statement says it. You know what state he's in. All things are against me. You know, what do you do when all things are against you? You worry. You fret. You create undue misery. And we could go on and on, but that's sufficient. We've all been there. We know. I don't have to describe it. You've been there. I've been there. He's anticipating the worst, and all he can do is wait. It's a dismal situation. Two boys gone. I'll probably never see Benjamin again. You know how your mind can just run off like out of control, anticipating that the worst is going to happen. I'm happy to say his perspective was proved wrong. Was it not? Absolutely wrong. He sat and had to anticipate once enough time had passed surely for them to get down there and get back in the days, you know, to make that trip. He had to be looking out the door. I'm not trying to inject anything here that's not unscriptural or unnatural. I believe it's very natural. He would be anticipating their return and wondering whether Simeon and especially Benjamin would be with them. But based on the past and based on the present, I don't think he had very high hopes. (laughs) I don't think he had much hope at all. Again, the track record of his son sure wasn't good. The past and present didn't seem good. Why should he think the future's going to be good? Well, that's what happens when we look at things through our perspective, right? And not through God's. One verse of Scripture erases every bit of that, doesn't it? You know it. What is it? What book is it in? Romans chapter 8 verse 28, isn't it? I mean, it just wipes the slate clean of our pessimism, doesn't it? If we just go there in a time like this. For we know that all things work together to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. There it is. Think about it. Do this, will you? Try to do this. I haven't mastered it, but it works. You can take that band-aid and put it on any wound you ever incur, and it'll work. It covers every situation, every circumstance, every problem, every grief, every sorrow, every, every whatever you can come up with. I mean, you know in Band-Aid box, they got different sizes and sometimes you got to get the right size to fit the wound. I mean, this one's big enough, it'll cover everything. No exceptions. Turn over to the 45th chapter with me. And let's see how this perspective is not only inaccurate, but could not be more wrong. And I'm not going to read the verse yet. I'm going to inject something here and then we'll read the verse, okay? So Jacob is sitting, awaiting, and wondering without hope who's going to show up, how many, what. And what, from from what I will read, if you know the story, you'll know the answer, what is the first thing he probably sees coming? something he never dreamed of. Egyptian wagon. An Egyptian wagon, not one wagon, but wagons, plural. Can you imagine, as I can only imagine myself, what went through his mind when he saw a bunch of Egyptian wagons coming back to that famine Land. Egyptian wagons. Maybe from the lack of confidence his sons, he might be saying, what in the world? Have, what have they done now? What's going on now? And not only are there wagons with beasts pulling them, but then there's 20 asses laden down with the best that Egypt has to offer. He sent a little gift down there. <laughs> <laughs> probably could have put it all on one ass and here it comes reciprocated back twenty asses laden with the best of the fruit of the land and then there's the boys it looks like they're all wearing new clothes raiment and if he was close enough he could have heard all that money jingling that Joseph had given to Benjamin rich rich the best of Egypt, was coming to his doorstep. And he was anticipating losing another son. And there's Simeon. And there's Benjamin. Wow. All things are against me. Question mark? (laughs) Amazing. I I keep laughing because it's not funny, but I just just have to laugh because I see myself in this so much shamedly in my life it's so easy to look at yourself and your circumstances and not not look for God in his providence and man that's where we need to be looking all the time we may not see all the pieces and we probably won't but we just need to know and believe and trust God's working God's working have the faith of Job And then the last thing that he would have ever dreamed, anticipated, or expected was one of these boys coming up, Judah coming up and saying, Daddy Joseph's alive. He's not dead. Well, let's read it a little bit, shall we? Verse 25 of chapter 45. So beautiful they went out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan to Jacob their father and told him saying, Joseph is yet alive. You don't see the wagons here, but you'll see what I as I read it. Joseph is yet alive. He's the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted for he believed him not. He's about to have a heart attack. He's about to fall out. It's too good to be true. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Maybe he didn't see the wagons at first, but here again... I don't know how all this unfolded, and he says it's enough. I will go and see him before I die. but there was plenty of signs, wasn't it? The wagons, the asses, the goods, the raiment, the money, and then the news: Joseph is alive. And think of this. Let, let's go one step further, shall we? Joseph is not just alive a slave in Egypt, he's the prime minister he's 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 the number two man and he's only number two because he just don't sit in Pharaoh's seat but he's in control of it all and this is what you're told daddy and I don't say that without disrespect but I'm just saying intimately here they said to come get you and everybody else and bring them down there Now, I want you to think about this as much as you can, and me too, to grasp this. This is probably the only prosperous place in the world at this time to speak of. I mean, but this is the place. A famine, whatever area of the world, I don't know where the world was populated and where people lived or what and how far the famine, but the bottom line is to the known world that we're talking about here in the Bible, Egypt would have been the place to be. That's where everybody else was coming to try to live. So the best of the best was in Egypt. And you've not just been invited, you've been commanded, come on down here because I want to give you the best. It's unfathomable, folks. Is it not? This didn't even come from the son Joseph. This comes from Pharaoh. I don't have time to read it, but you back up in this chapter and read it. When Pharaoh gets word of what's going on and is told him from Joseph and everything, he tells Joseph, he said, you go up there and get your daddy and tell him, I said, come down here and we're going to give him the best that Egypt's got to offer. Why? Because of Joseph. We went through this before in the sermons we preached on Christ and the life of Joseph. It's beautiful. Come and dwell in the best place you can dwell with the best things there are to be had. You will be safe. You will be honored. You will be blessed. And I love this. Look back with me in verse 18 through 20. This really puts it. Let's just read the words. Take your father and your households and come unto me. This is from the mouth of the most powerful man in all the world. No higher authority. I mean, you don't say no to this, even if you, whatever. And I will give you the good of the land of Egypt. They were foreigners. You remember Joseph didn't even sit down and eat with his brethren because Egyptians were above that. They didn't eat with foreigners. Yet here's the top dog saying, I'm going to give you the best I've got. You shall eat the fat of the land. Most Egyptians would not be treated like this. The majority of them would not be treated like this. Yet these foreigners are. Now thou art commanded this do ye. Take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, bring your father. Verse 20, and regard not your stuff. Don't worry about what you got up there. We got better than that down here. Don't fill them wagons with a bunch of junk that... I can do better than down here. Look at this. The good of all the land of Egypt is yours. All these things are against me. No. <laughs> no. Not even close. Where's he in a bad situation? Yeah. He had lost a son. He thought maybe he had lost another son. He jumped to conclusions that he would lose another son. Were, answer the question, all things against him? No. He missed it a mile. In reality, God was working it all for him. Not some of it. All of it. All of it. God had been working back before Joseph disappeared. This is just the culmination of it. And that's so wonderful to see. Providence is the most beautiful thing there is to the child of God. And it gives you such peace. But by faith we must embrace the fact in these bad, dismal, sorrowful, grievous, hurtful, harmful circumstances... God's still working. It's what he says. Working all things together. This is not what Jacob anticipated. He thought everything was for him, against him, when in reality he couldn't have been more wrong. God was working everything for his good. Absolutely amazing. We can see it in his life. My question is, can you see it in your life? Do we want to be where he is or where Job was? Oh, God help us today. I look at Jacob, I see my own faults, I see my own weak faith. I look at Job and I see what I want to be, where I want to be. May we be reminded of Romans eight twenty eight, that God's always working. And remember, I, it hasn't been too long. I told you that. I don't know if it was recorded or not. I'll mention it again. It's, it's like the lady in the south that, when told about Romans eight twenty eight, said, "Oh yeah, that's like making biscuits." And the guy didn't know what she was talking about. Remember, I told you this. She said, "Oh yeah." I said, "You make biscuits." I said, "You know all those ingredients make good biscuits, but they ain't a no one of them worth a flip all by themselves." Well a grief a sorrow a loss a harm a hurt or whatever hey, in and of itself that's not pleasant but man when you put baking powder and flour and salt and all that other stuff together it makes wonderful biscuits and nobody makes biscuits like god does if you'll pardon the expression take the worst things there are and blend them together in the life of one of his children and here you see No wonder the scripture says we can't imagine what God has prepared for us. We we can't fathom what God does for us now. When we think the sky is falling in. May we learn submissiveness. May we yield based on that thought and that promise that God is working. God worketh. Wonderful two words. God worketh. I close with another illustration. It's another one of those that's stuck in my mind from the first time I've ever I ever read it. It just found a special lodging place and I got, I got a place in my heart for all those beautiful illustrations like I told you about this morning in Sunday school, that one. But this one has to deal with Providence and it was called embroidery. A little boy was sitting at his mother's feet and she was sitting in a chair and in her lap she was embroidering. You know how they make them you you ladies, I know some of you have done it, and you're sitting there stitching that, stitching some pattern on top of a deal and it's got a stretched piece of cloth with a ring around it, you know? A little boy sitting there looking up and all he can see is the bottom side. And he sees all that thread and he can't make heads or tails of it. And he asked Mama, What 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 are you doing? She said, Well, I'm I'm embroidering, I'm making something here. Well is what is it? She said, well, you'll see when I get done. And of course, number one, he was a child, and number two, he was looking at the wrong side. He was down there looking up, you know, and couldn't, it's the bottom, and you know how that looks. And she got done, she turned it over and showed to him, and it all become clear then. But that whole time she was working, and if you'll pardon the expression, he couldn't make heads or tails of it from where he was at. Well, that's us, isn't it? Many times we can't make heads or tails out of what's God doing and we don't, we're not supposed to know. Job didn't know. Eli, you know, they, they were told, but they didn't know how all the details were going to work out and certainly Jacob didn't know. But God's working. May we look at that embroidery from the bottom side and say, I'm going to trust God. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to trust God that on his side he knows exactly what he's doing and maybe one day he'll show it to me. God give us that faith let's have a word of prayer shall we Father we thank you for this time we thank you for these truths in your word and Father how we pray that you might by the power of the Holy Spirit cause us to be yielded to your will in everything that affects us in our lives and God just help us bring it to our memory by the Holy Spirit that you are working everything that we would label bad for our good whether we see it or not oh Lord help us to trust you And to give us that peace that passes understanding. Help us to learn from these examples, both positive and negative, this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.